Next, Gene Shepard, WOR News Time, 
the most significant political crisis of modern times. Uh, there you are. And it comes on a piece of beautiful walnut. It's tacked right on there with a gold tack. There's a piece of carpet there. A little piece. It's about an inch square. <laughs> uh, how much does it go for? Well, it goes for about, uh, let's see. Depends on whether you want the uh, family size or the the economy size here. Whether you're really interested in history, well, let's see what it goes for. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, you can save by ordering more than one. Uh, how does it, oh, well, it goes for ten bananas. And, uh, you know, that ain't cheap. Um, you take a big big carpet. Let's assume it's just a 9 by 12 carpet. How many one-inch squares can you dig out of that? That's a very, very expensive piece of carpet. But nevertheless, here it is, and it comes on a, on a beautiful plaque, and underneath it is this bronze scroll that says, A Piece of History. It's kind of nice. By the way, they, in, the, in the copy, they go on a little further. It says, uh, yeah, it says, this is going to be unbelievably valuable in the future. I mean, it's really going to be worth dough. It says, for example... What is the value today of an autograph, an autograph of one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence? Now, they don't exactly say it, but they say this is going to be as valuable. Now, there are those who will question that, but those are sore heads. I mean, I don't like sore heads. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> I like that wild... I mean, that's like, a, well, how much do you think an actual, on-the-spot copy signed by King John himself of the Magna Carta would be worth today? Well, you can own an autographed copy of Kay Kaiser's famous... So, uh, you know, we're here. <laughs> my, my, my point is here that this opens up a whole new avenue of commercial exploitation of disaster. Now... Now I can understand why guys are going to try to raise the Titanic. Do you realize that if you raise the Titanic, you could make actual, authenticated, and it comes with an authentic uh, scroll that says it's real, authentic Titanic paperweights, all autographed by the surviving members of... <laughs> I mean, seriously, have you... Now, now... I, I, it never occurred to me, but there are people who do collect stuff like that. It never occurred to me that, uh, that you know, it would be brought out into the open that much. But I know, I'll tell you this, I know a guy whose who's absolute prize possession, I don't know whether he's still alive, but it was his, his prize possession that he had, and, and he lived in the neighborhood when I was a kid, it was an, and it was supposedly authentic. It was an authentic... And, and kids would go over and look at it. And adults would travel 100 miles to see it. What did he have? Well, I'll tell you what he had. If you're curious what he had. He had an actual slug. A bullet, a slug. You know, it was all bent up and flat. He had an actual slug that was fired at Al Capone. It didn't hit him, but it was fired at Al Capone. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Now, now, I mean, this was like out of history. This was an ancient piece of, of, of great history. And, and, you know, Al Capone was in the movies. Everybody saw uh, movies called Little Caesar and all this. And, and old Jake, 
if you're curious, <laughs> Jake Paswinski. He was the father of Frank, and everybody thought Frank was a very lucky guy to have a father like Jake Paswinski, who had an actual slug that was fired at Al Capone. And he, <laughs> he kept it in the house, and he guarded it under lock and key. That thing was not thrown around, buddy. And I don't know where that slug is today, but that slug was absolutely one of the biggest. In fact, uh, there was talk at one time when the PTA down at the Warren G. Harding School had a uh, had a tour of the homes of the neighborhood. You know, they raise money by taking a tour of the neighborhood. <laughs> Did you ever have one of those happen here? No? Well, <laughs> should have seen some of the houses they went to. I mean, they came through our kitchen, went right out again. But they uh, had a tour of the houses. And one of the, one of the things, a historic tour of the neighborhood, was a visit to Mr. Paswinski's house where they all stood around and looked at the bullet that was fired at at, uh, at Al Capone. <laughs> now, how you can authenticate a thing like that, I don't know. I mean, it came with a, this comes with a, uh, with an affidavit. But then again, you can get affidavits today for anything. You know, the right place. Now, uh, uh, what, what else would you like to own? What would you like to own? Would you like to own a valve stem from the actual Harley Davidson a motorcycle that Evil Knievel used on his network disaster. Wouldn't that be exciting to show to the crowd? I'll tell you, you could you could probably charge money for that. Now, if you're not into that kind of show business, you just don't understand what is properly called lowbrow America. I don't want to use the term mid America. That's lowbrow America because it isn't any part. It isn't geographical. It's just lowbrow America. For example, you know that that large numbers of people line up every day and pay good money to look at the Cadillac that Hank Williams actually died in. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great American shrine, that Cadillac is, yes. You knew that, didn't you? Oh, yeah. And, uh, all, and you know that for a long time, <laughs> you, you, you paid money to see it, right? <laughs> you went in there. <laughs> well, all right. Join the club. Well, there's another. There, I, I one time went, when I was a kid, I can remember going to a, a, uh, a carnival. They had this carnival. And, uh, you know, carnivals that travel around, they have carnivals. They still have carnivals. And, you know, there's a, a vacant lot, and all of a sudden a big sign goes up and says, the big carnival is going to come from the Kiwanis Club is sponsoring carnival this year. And uh, they show up there, and guys throw uh, baseballs at clowns and stuff like that, make them go in the water, and they have rides and stuff. One of the absolute smash exhibits at this carnival, you could pay to see it, was the actual car that Bonnie and Clyde got theirs in. As far as I know, it's still on tour, is it? Yeah, that uh, the actual car. And and people paid like no, they waited in line for weeks to see that. <laughs> I mean, they'd wait in line and get in there, and there it would be. See the cars there, and it had about five thousand bullet holes in it, and uh, there was blood all over the place. Yeah, oh yeah, well they made a whole point of that. What? I mean, you don't think they're going to wash that off, do you? I mean, for heaven's sakes! In fact, they kept in, they kept coming in, renewing it. I mean, uh, that's what the people are there to see. I mean. <laughs> And they would come in there, and and, and I'm, I'm sure that if you wanted to cut that up into little pieces, do you realize how much you could give it the actual card of Bonnie and Clyde, authenticated, true Americana? I mean, this is going to be as valuable as the Declaration of Independence one day, the real thing. Now, uh, 
what are some of the other things that uh, that uh, are of like ilk? Come on, think. Use your head. You got to you got to loosen it all up. Get going. Well, all right. You want to know some of the things that I've seen actually displayed? <laughs> all right. I mean, it's gruesome, but this is the kind of stuff people look at. <laughs> uh, there was also a display at one time, and uh, this was again at a, at a kind of a carnival thing. They had uh, they had actual relics of the Great Chicago Fire. There was a guy's hat, half burnt. <laughs> Everybody stood and looked at it. There was a hat with the brim burned off. <laughs> and uh, they had a door, and you could see the bottom of the door was half burnt. Now, how you ever knew this was actually from the Chicago Fire, nobody ever, you know, cared to a argue, but it was great to think that it was. So you stood there and looked at it. Now, one of the greatest slob exhibitions I've ever seen, I think, I think museums are way out of line in uh, trying to pretend that all, you know, the people want to go and look at Rembrandt. And, uh, you know, this is misunderstanding the people entirely to believe that the Thomas Hoving, are you listening, that the people who wanted to you know, want to go and look at medieval tapestry and all that kind of stuff, forget it. I, one time in the city of Cincinnati, was part of a vast throng that waited in line to see the actual costumes and the true authentic historical artifacts used in the movie Cleopatra. I looked at the actual armor that Caesar himself wore. And I want to tell you, it was really historical. People walked through there, and they were hushed. They were hushed. Because not only were they in the presence of great antiquity, I mean, after all, uh, Anthony, you know what they had there? They had the actual asp that bit Cleopatra. was right there. I saw it. So if anybody tells you that's fiction... Come on, I saw it. And uh, they had... Uh, they, <laughs> they, well, listen, they, that isn't all they had. They had the actual sword that Mark Anthony carried. I was surprised to discover that it had a vinyl handle. But, uh, I mean, you know, those, uh, those Romans were pretty far ahead of their time, actually, I understand. And uh, I'll tell you, everybody that saw it was really impressed. And a lot of them came in there with their Instamatics and took pictures. And they're now, those pictures are among the family archives and are protected like all true archives should. This is WOR New York, another bastion of uh, high-level thinking. And uh, we'll be back and, uh, well, you know, here's commercials. Now, look, if you think you're going to get me to tell that, that terrible story that I once told on the air. I'm not going to do it tonight. Yep, I'm not going to tell that story tonight. Because, I'll tell you, I told that story once. And I still hear about that story. And, and I have received letters from people who say that they have not slept since. And that's been three or four years that I told that story. And I don't want to be responsible for people staying awake for years on end. <laughs> I mean, because they can't sleep. I'm not going to tell you that story. But uh, as an old aficionado of uh, lower-brow slop culture, I have seen the collection of many things. For example, all right, okay, wait. All right, wait a minute now. One of the great moments that I saw in my history of observing the slob in action came at the Indianapolis Speedway. You know, the Speedway. 
Uh, a car came around the north turn, went into the straight. He was going about 185 miles an hour when all of a sudden he lost his left rear wheel. And the car went, you know, went slewing sideways, the smoke rising in a great column from the from the car. It just screamed, sideways it went, spinning end over end. Boom! It hit the wall. Pieces of the car flew off. It dragged along the wall for about a hundred. By the way, the guy wasn't killed, so don't get alarmed. The car drove along the wall for about a hundred yards, exploding as it went. The driver flew out, and he bounced into the infield, you know, with his helmet on fire. He was running when he hit the ground, and the car blew up. Well, immediately the yellow flag went out, and 4,000 vultures descended on the scene, picking up pieces of the car, running back into the crowd with the smoking ruins in their hands. I mean, one guy burnt the T-shirt right off his back trying to carry a hood that was on fire when he carried it. All right. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Now, why were they doing that? Because they figured they could use it to fix their car at home? No. They wanted an actual piece of wreckage. That's right, of course. How do you think I know about the lowbrow? It takes one to know one, friends. I am not reporting on an alien group. I'm reporting on all of us. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to tell you, if the uh, aluminum football fits in your hand, put it in your hand. That's the way it goes. Now, I'll tell you another one. You know that almost any, any, uh, yeah, this, is, this gets more gruesome as I go, that any FAA inspector, in fact, I have a friend that, that at one time was an inspector, for the FAA, that's the Federal Aviation Authority. His uh, his job, among other jobs, was to go and investigate wrecks, crashes. You know, they had to go and they had to carefully measure everything. You know, one of the big problems is, do I have to tell you? Okay. <laughs> that's right. Thousands of people descend on the scene immediately and pick up pieces of the wreck and run away with it. Well, they just want to have a piece of a wreck. You know they're not going to go home and fix their 707. Uh, they they want a piece of the tangled tin. And, and so they run. Well, all right, that is really basically the reason that people would collect a piece of the Watergate carpet. You see the parallel? The same parallel. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, that there are people... Hey, you know, speaking of that... Uh, the collection of that kind of, uh, that's really esoterica. I mean, that's really collecting strange stuff. But uh, I, 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 one time, uh, I knew a girl. Now, I'm not going to name any names. But I once knew a girl who had a petrified piece of Merle Haggard's birthday cake. Merle Haggard had a birthday. Uh, the press had a big party for him and pieces of his birthday cake were passed out, and this girl has a petrified piece of Merle Haggard birthday cake. And that is her prized possession. <laughs> All right? I, I remember when I... Listen, I remember when I was traveling around with the Beatles. I, I, did, a, I did a piece in, in Playboy, you know, for the Beatles, about the Beatles, back in their absolute heyday, back in the mid-60s, before they'd even come over here. And uh, they were, you know, they were absolutely... Uh, true walking gods. And I traveled with them. I lived with them. And believe it or not, every place that the Beatles went, 
guys used to come in, like like guys that were, like, for example, they were staying in a hotel or they were staying in a motel or someplace. They'd have guards all over the place, thousands of guards everywhere. But the, the, the people down in the kitchen would be selling out the back door authentic uh, bread crusts that were actually chewed on by John Lennon. <laughs> of course, it was all fraud. They weren't, but they said they weren't. And so kids would come around the back and say, yeah, do you actually have a napkin that uh, that uh, George Harrison used? And the guy would say, yes, I do. I have three napkins that George Harrison used. In fact, uh, look, he blew his nose in this one. And, oh, the kids would go bananas. They'd, they'd spend anything for an actual napkin that George Harrison blew his nose in. <laughs> and, yeah, they'd spend 25 bucks for this. And, of course, the guy's down in the kitchen are reaping a fantastic harvest. And, and, and none of it was authentic. I hate to tell you this. If you actually have, if you yourself own a small portion of a hot dog, now petrified, that Ringo once chewed on, I would question its authenticity. But nevertheless, this was a big thriving business that was going on. And, and you know that... that <laughs> I mean, it's weird, but but uh, mankind has always collected relics. I'm using it in the religious sense. You know what a religious relic is? The actual hair of Buddha. Uh, you know, the fingernail of a saint. And and so in our time, people that are in show business are are truly the uh, the religious people of our time. They're they're saints. They're in the they're in 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 heaven. And heaven is show business. It's actually show business itself. So when you're in show business, you're in heaven. <laughs> yes, you've achieved heaven. And being in show business, I know a little about this. People ask you these things. They, and they assume that everybody in heaven, of course, knows everybody else in heaven. And, uh, oh, yes, people will, uh, will come up to me and they say, Hey, uh, when's the last time you've seen Brando? Well, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'll admit I once met Brando. <laughs> But uh, uh, and and he gets the same questions. Uh, so uh, that's heaven. It's assumed that all angels know all other angels in heaven. But actually, heaven has had a population explosion, like everything else, and it's going to be terrible to arrive in heaven and find that there are slums in heaven too. That there are some angels that are more angelic than others. <laughs> that's the way the law <laughs> that's going to be an awful thing to discover isn't it? but uh, nevertheless uh, uh, so the collection of relics is an age old uh, thing that man does relics if possible actual physical relics of the people like uh, I know a guy who is so unbelievably hung on uh, <laughs> this is a strange one I, I don't know how to quite bring this up, but he's so incredibly hung on Judy Garland that he has an actual piece of shoelace. It's a shoelace. Now, now you know, a little lace. It looks like a piece of lace. The shoelace was actually worn by Judy Garland, or so he thinks, in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis, when she wore these high uh, laced shoes. You know, there was a scene where she had the high laced shoes and all that stuff that she had this shoelace that broke one time and she threw it away or the dresser threw it away and now the shoelace is a an honored thing. Now, I've seen a few of these things. Have you ever seen any of these, uh, these, these collections? 
Well, I'll tell you one that I, I, I saw. I think I told this on the air one day. But I'll tell you, right here in Midtown Manhattan, there's a very famous shop, a tobacco shop. And uh, and I went over there one day with somebody. I don't know. They were going to come on the show or something. Somehow I got involved in this shop. And they took me back backstage where they had all this collection down below. They have a, a big collection of, of very expensive cigars that are kept in a, in a great uh, uh, cellar humidor. And there are cigars down there. Well, the guy that was taking me through, he says, I'm going to show you something really historic. And I said, uh, historic? And he says, yes. He says, we keep it down here because this is the proper temperature for it, and it's all sealed in down here, and we don't show this to many people. I'm going to show this to you. And with that, he pulled out a drawer. It was all locked, beautiful drawer, and it pulls it out, and here is a cedar case all tightly fitting and he opened it up and he lifted one of the drawers out very carefully and he says just look at that I said yeah I see it he says do you know what that is he says yeah it's a cigar butt he says oh no that's not just a cigar butt that's a cigar butt yeah yeah that's what I said it's a cigar butt he said, but read the inscription. I said, oh, I didn't see that. Here, let me see it. And the inscription read, This cigar is an authentic cigar that was smoked by the late Sir Winston Churchill. It was discarded on the deck of the USS Dingbat, or whatever the boat was, where... Mr. Churchill met with Franklin D. Roosevelt on the occasion of their historic meeting during World War II. This cigar was smoked by Winston Churchill. I said, well, how do you know? He said, what do you mean, how do you know? It's authentic. I said, but Fred, it, it's authentic because you tell me it's authentic, but, but I mean, what's to prevent there being 20,000 other cigars that are purportedly Cigars smoked by Winston Churchill. He says, this is authentic. This came from a crew member. I said, Fred, you mean a sailor? He said, no, a crew member. I said, you're talking about a sailor. <laughs> I said, I'll bet these guys went in and bought 5,000 white owls, chewed them, and then put them in packages and sold them to everybody that came up to the ship after that. As an authentic, I know sailors, right? You know, you've known a few. <laughs> but anyway, this guy is really proud of his authentic Winston Churchill cigar. Well, I did not realize that I had just scratched the surface of a, a definitely underground hobby. So I asked him. I said, "Fred, are there others?" Oh, he said, "Yes." He said, uh, "He said I have a, a vast collection." And I said, "A vast collection? What else do you have?" He says, "Where do you see this?" He pulls out the drawer. He says, look at that. Oh, that's a cigarette butt. Oh, no. This is a cigarette butt that was smoked by John Wayne on the set of Stagecoach before he gave up smoking. I said, well, I'll be damned. I said, let me look at that. I said, why, it's a camel. Said, that's right. It's authentic. I said... A John Wayne cigarette butt? He says, wait a minute, that's not all. He says, I have an Edgar G. 
Robinson pipe. And you can see where he bit it. Look, you can see his teeth marks on it. And there's a pipe. Did you know that there's an underground collection of people who collect cigarette butts, particularly smoking stuff, cigarette butts, uh, pipes. I presume there is even somebody who collects, uh, say, uh, discarded uh, tobacco chaws. You know, they were actually spit out by Catfish Mother at the conclusion of his historic... <laughs> Now, wait a minute, guys. Gee whiz. I don't invent history. I only report it here. I know that's awful, but can't you just see some kid running up there and he's got this thing and he puts it in his little bag? <laughs> now, that, that, uh, now, now, now you laugh, okay? You laugh at this. Now, you, you're sitting back there laughing. Now, if you could prove that you had an actual hot dog that was half eaten by Babe Ruth, who was a legendary hot dog eater. Now, wouldn't that make an interesting display on your mantelpiece? I mean, people would line up to see that. I mean, you could have it coated with the plastic vinyl. You know. <laughs> now wait, now, come on, fellas. Now, now this this is a this is a part of the new. Uh, they call it. Uh, well, actually, it's it's called relic collecting. Did you know they actually call it that? And uh, people collect things that other people have thrown away. And uh, if you're in a crowd and and you see, say, for example, somebody like, oh, uh, just say, Faye Dunaway uh, is at a premiere, and uh, she happens to have a Kleenex, and she just uh, uh, takes the Kleenex and tosses it away, you'll find 50 people dive for it. Okay? Now, this brings up some very scary thoughts of all kinds of things that could be collected and probably are. But uh, uh, you know that, uh, <laughs> that presidential barbers, for example, are always having that problem. Sure, the guy goes to get his hair cut, and immediately 50 people come clouding in there, and they say, hey, uh, how about the, how, much, uh, how much would it cost to, to buy uh, an actual lock of uh, Lyndon Johnson's hair or, uh, or uh, Nixon's hair or, uh, you know, whoever it might be? And I saw an interview with a, a barber who, who cut several presidents' hair, and you know what he did? He made it a practice to always sweep all the hair up and burn it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that he will live to regret that. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, that's a problem. And, and, and this, are you aware that this is actually happening in hairdressers in Hollywood? That, that a guy, let's say, who actually does, uh, well, Jason, for argument's sake, uh, Farrah Fawcett Major's hair. You know, she's a current big thing. And uh, she comes in there, and he cuts off uh, some of her hair down at the bottom there. You know, you've got the frizzies, my dear. And he cuts off a little at the bottom there. And split ends, oh, my God, who's been doing this? And he cuts it. <laughs> well, what happens? He has a very marketable item on his hands. And uh, sure, if you could get yourself an authentic lock of Robert Redford's hair. After all, Robert Redford was the guy that broke the Watergate case. Let's face it. I mean, if it weren't for Redford, uh, Nixon would still be in. And and uh, if you could get a, a lock of Robert Redford's hair, 
and, and you could put that with your Watergate carpet set, uh, specimen, you'd have the complete thing. Then if you get a little Nixon hair, you know, or uh, maybe uh, get one of the runover heels from his shoes when they sent him down to get it fixed. Are you aware that this is done too? People collect stuff like that. And uh, that's especially true among sports heroes. That if a kid could ever get one of O.J.'s shoes, good Lord Almighty. Well, I'll tell you this. I was in, I was in a, a dressing room one day. I'm going to tell you a sad story. I was in a dressing room one day. Not a sad, a kind of a funny story. I was in a, in a dressing room one day, and there were a lot of writers down there. And it was in the New York Yankees dressing room. And it was after a big game, a World Series game, in fact. When some fink stole Whitey Ford's shirt. Right there. Ford reached in. Here he is. He's being interviewed at Ford. He had these shirts, you know, with a big number 16 on the back. And he has two of them. He changed one during the game. He had one, one in, his, uh, in his little cubicle there. And he had the other one on. And all of a sudden, Ford turns around. He says, hey, who stole my shirt? One of you guys has got my shirt here. Hey. Hey, you guys! And everybody looked very innocent. They stood there. But one of those guys from the press had Whitey Ford's shirt stuck there, neatly rolled up, stuck in the back of his pants somewhere. And to this day, he's probably showing it to people. And it had Whitey Ford's sweat on it. Right? You'll think. This is W.O.R. New York.